I'm going to do something that every pastor is probably doing across the world right now. It's, it's deeply annoying. Um, it's 2020, so they're probably going to speak about having 2020 vision for something. And, and being, being cheesy just annoys me. So, so I thought, the, I have to speak about this because I want us to be 2020 crystal clear about the one thing that's important for this year. And, uh, and so I'm going to be part of the Cheese Factory, and I'm going to speak to you about intimacy with God. That's what I want to speak about. But this message, it became clear to me whilst I was on holiday. I was, I was with a student, wonderful kid. Um, he's 21, and uh, he's at Varsity in Cape Town. And his parents are Christian, and uh, he thinks he's a Christian, but not quite sure. Those are, those are the tricky ones. And if you're here and you think you're a Christian, it's lovely having you, you're tricky. And, and so anyway, I, I, I got into this conversation to help him um, kind of understand where he's at. And, and he was trying to process the world he lives in. And so in Cape Town's a very liberal city, you know this. And, uh, and so he says to me, Russ, I'm dealing with like worldviews. These weren't his words, but worldviews of everything from veganism to differentially orientated sexual stuff to just being an absolute greenie. And he said, I'm trying to work this stuff out and it's really hard. And I said, Drew, don't worry about the vegan thing. Your food eats vegetables. You're getting all the vegetables you need. But, but I realized he doesn't have Jesus at the center and it's really hard to make sense of the world when you don't have Jesus at the center. So we got into a conversation where I, I took him on the journey towards Christ. And I want to tell you how I normally do it, and then I'm going to tell you how, how I did it differently. So normally, this isn't really part of the sermon, but it'll help you. And if you're not a Christian, this will help you a lot. Normally, I sit down with people, and I've done this hundreds of times over a coffee at a restaurant, and, and they ask me questions about Jesus, and I give them the four spiritual laws. And you should really know this because honestly, you give the four spiritual laws, people come to Christ. It's just God explains stuff to them. But the four spiritual laws are basically this. You got God. I know I'm, I'm an exceptional artist. Um, that is a, a crown. And, uh, and then we have, let's use another color. Can you see that? 2020 vision. What's wrong with uh, black? Can you see that? No. Okay. I can't help you. You've got 10-10 vision. Uh, and there's you. And between you and God is a massive chasm. But God loves you. It's just you can't get to God because the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter if you try really, really hard and you run and you do a jump or you're just like one of those guys who eat, drink, tomorrow we die, like have a fat jaw. And you're just like, ah, that's my effort. It, it doesn't matter how hard you try. You're not going to get to God. The chasm's too big because the scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it says that the wages of sin is death. Like there's concrete here. The wages of sin is death. So God, because he loves us, sent his son to die for us 
that anyone who believes on him, on him, shall not perish but have eternal life. He makes a bridge to the Father. Now, honestly, I've done this incredible artwork to hundreds of people. Just drawn the picture, explained the thing, just like I'm doing now. And then at the end, I say, do you want to receive Christ? And they go, yes, please. This is, you should do it to your non-Christian friends. Just explain it and then say, do you want to receive Christ? Watch what will happen. But with this guy, I decided we need a little bit of romance before we're going to get him there. Because, because one, he's a millennial. And millennials, because they watch Netflix, don't really believe there is good and bad. And I'm not really a sinner because all the heroes are like half good, half bad. You've watched Netflix, huh? That's, that's kind of the vibe at the moment. And, and so, so sinner, don't know if I'm a sinner. And I didn't want to get into like a long conversation with him that basically though he thinks he's a good guy, compared to God, he and I are more like a psychopath than a good guy because that would have been a long conversation. So, so I didn't go there. And what I wanted to speak to him about was intimacy with God is the purpose of Christianity. In fact, if you don't get that, you miss the whole point. And so I, I did this conversation that I'm going to have with you in a conversation rather than a preach. So it was a lot shorter. But I want to get into the fact that God made man for intimacy. This is Eden. I know, it's splendid. When God made the garden, he actually made a place of romance. You think about it. He's, he's got sunrises, greenery, rivers, a river flowing that gives life wherever it goes. And, and there's this garden, and we'll show a picture of, oh, kind of. Okay, so that's, there, there, there we go. That's, that's a real oasis. How cool is that? It's just, it's in China. Anyway, there's this garden, river flowing out of it, and God puts Adam there, and, and it is beautiful in every sense. There's food to eat, um, vegans would be happy, there's, there's, it's fruit, it's, it's just everything is a delight. And Adam goes to work on an elephant, and he comes back on a dolphin, and like uh, there's fish in the river, it's just everything is, is perfect. And... Uh, and the whole point of the perfect is to set up a moment. I don't, I don't know if people use this term anymore, but it, it, do people ever say nowadays um, when, when they see a couple who are being a little too affectionate in public, this, this, do, do you still say, go get a room? Okay, go, go get a room. I was doing a wedding the other day, and... Uh, I married the couple, and then they, I pronounced them husband and wife, and I said, you may kiss the bride. And they kissed with intent. <laughs> and I was very close. <laughs> and I felt like saying, go get a room. But I'm a pastor, so I can't say that. But I thought to myself, if they have this much intent right now, I hope they survive the photos. <laughs> Otherwise, the photography is going to be a different genre. It's just going to be... A... God makes a room for Adam to hook up, to catch feelings with. God makes a room for him to connect, to have intimacy in the Garden of Eden. It's a beautiful room. And one day God goes in and he's been meeting with Adam in the Garden of Eden again and again and again. And this day he goes in and he, and he 
he looks for Adam, and Adam's nowhere. And he calls out, Adam, Adam. And eventually Adam says, here I am. And Adam's sowing this fig leaf onto his body. And God goes, what are you doing? And he says, I was naked, so I hid. See, there's a, there's a, a pattern. We sin. We become aware of our inadequacy. We hide. And then we sow fig leaves. We cover over. And God looks at Adam and he kind of goes, my boy, why? My boy, don't you know that that fig leaf can never cover you? Because you cut it off the tree and so it's going to die just like your soul that's been cut off from me is dying. And though you worked all night last night to sow that fig tree, it's going to die and stuff's going to poke out and it's going to be awkward. You can never by your own works cover over your own sin. So I will kill an animal, a picture of Jesus, a sacrifice to cover over your sin because my greatest aim is that we have intimacy again. This is, this is the gospel. This is the story of the Bible. In fact, from Genesis all the way through, it's the same story. God wants to dwell with men. And so you see levels of this. And so God comes to a guy by the name of Moses, and you know the story. And he says to Moses, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me, which is a weird thing to say. Let them go, makes sense, so they can worship me. Shouldn't be in the same sentence. Doesn't really add up. Until you start to understand how man works. Because you, you watch the story, and I'll, I'll show you how it plays out, and then I'll explain why you have to be let go to worship. The story plays out. The plagues come. God moves by his power. He breaks Pharaoh. And, and what happens is Pharaoh goes, get out of here. And then the people go, take our gold, just go. And they throw the gold. And Israel is set free, emancipated. They, they, they set free politically and out of bondage, but they go into the wilderness, and whilst they're in the wilderness, Moses goes for a walk to chat to God and make some commandments happen, and whilst they're left leaderless and not being led to worship, they build a golden calf. Here's the principle. You are so designed for intimacy with God in Eden you were so designed for that that your soul cravings are so uncontrollably big that if they're not pointed towards worship, they will land up in Netflix and buying a house that's a little too expensive for you so that you can live a lifestyle that's just out of your reach and living with how many likes I can get on Instagram. It, you will... Find yourself, because the soul craving is so much, you will find yourself putting yourself back into slavery to something if you're not pointed to worship. See, worship is this. I'll use an illustration embarrass the life out of my wife. <clears throat> worship is giving worth. So, so this is worship. But when I speak about my wife, my wife is one of the purest of heart people I've ever met. And so 
what will happen with my wife is when she walks into a space or when she comes into an environment, she needs to bring beauty and purity. It flows out of her. So she will organize the world around her. She will cover over what's not beautiful and she will make it beautiful. It flows out. She, is, she has untamable convictions. She's like one of those plastic toys. You can bully her this way, she'll pop back up. You can push her that way, she'll pop back up. She's just, her convictions are untamable. She is so driven by conviction. It's deeply frustrating. I say like, I'm a rock, she's water. Water crushes rock every time. She's just like, she's conviction. And she's so full of beautiful conviction. My wife, when she walks into a room, she beautifies it, she organizes it because empathy flows out of her. You know what I'm doing here? I am giving her worth-ship. You know what that leads to? Good things. <laughs> it leads to this thing called intimacy. And out of intimacy comes children. When you are intimate with God, he spiritually impregnates you with dreams and desires and destiny and identity. And Ad, you know where Adam learned what his calling in life was? Intimacy with God. Walking one day, God says, this garden's too small. I want you to make it bigger. There are not enough people here. I want you to multiply and fill the earth. The fish in the sea, they all need names. This is intimacy. This is what happens out of intimacy. People keep saying to me, I don't know what God's plan for my life is. Here's the answer. Go spend time intimately with him, giving him worship, because worship is what brings us close to him. It's in worship that we come to his footstool, so we get close to him. And in that space of you speaking, God, you are my provider. Though I am terrified of what's going on in the economy, you are my provider, not the government. God, you are my healer. Though I'm struggling with this illness, I, I see you as my healer, not my circumstances. This is, this is what happens in worship. You get free from the things that would enslave you, and you get intimate, and in that space, God speaks into his disciples. You are Simon but I will call you Peter, the rock on whom I'll build my church. Here's what happens. He gets shaped in intimacy into his calling and destiny. The garden. Oh, this, this was my tabernacle. Isn't it beautiful? Oh, we'll just leave it there. I tried to remake it just now. It didn't work. Uh, let me give, give you something else about this, this tent. So, so here's what happens. In Genesis, uh, Exodus 32, they make a golden calf. In Exodus 33, God says, Moses, go build a tabernacle. Go build a tabernacle. And then God organizes the tabernacle. So here's, here's a picture. I know it's not amazing, but there's the tent of meeting. And what God says to the people, because you start to find patterns of how to be intimate with God. What he says to the people is he says, I want each of the 12 tribes around the tabernacle facing the tabernacle. So there are three on the south, three on the north, three on the east, three on the west. And, and here's the deal. When they wake up, they look at the tabernacle. When they go to sleep, they look at the tabernacle. When they eat, they look at the tabernacle. When the cloud, the presence of God, moves, they move the tabernacle. Everything about their lives is focused on the tabernacle where God is present and they can be intimate with Him. And here's what God's saying. 
I don't want your Sunday morning leftovers. I want you when you wake up, when you eat, when you go to sleep. I want you in the middle of the day. I want you in the five-minute break you have at work. I want, I want intimacy with you. I want to walk with you. I, when I move, I want you to move along with me. When I stay, I want you to stay where I am. I want you to go where I go. I want you to be led by me. It's patterns of intimacy. But still, the tabernacle's not enough, so God says to a young girl, Mary, I want to give you a gift for the world. And the scripture says in John, it's this beautiful verse. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling. That word, made his dwelling, it means tabernacled, tented. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made a tent among men, among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So Jesus becomes the hookup place. And 12 disciples and a whole bunch of others get to experience him and they touch him. In John 1 it says, he whom we touched and we felt and we know. This isn't someone we're just making up in our brains. This is someone we actually got intimate with. That Jesus begins to shape them and he forms them and he lives with them and they get into his heart. See, intimacy. Into me you see. Intimacy. Into her I see. You know what stops intimacy? Hiding, covering, not sharing. They get intimate with Jesus and in their intimacy, God sets them free and then they sin. And God goes after them. They betray Jesus. And just like God goes after Adam, God, Jesus, goes after the disciples. But whilst he's having a conversation with them, he goes, guys, this intimacy is great, but it's limited. I can only really be with one person properly at, the, at a time or 12 of you at once. I can't be with the whole world, and I need more intimacy. So he goes, I'm going to the Father so that I can send another like me to be intimate with you. Anyway, I'm having this conversation with this student. It wasn't quite as long as this, but this is where we're going. And, and we get to this place where he says, well, how do we have this? And, and I say, something to the effect of this verse, John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, looks like it was going like, Matthew, when you, John, when you put this into the Bible, you make sure everyone knows it. Not Judas Iscariot. I was the other Judas. Anyway, he goes, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? I, I love how Jesus just doesn't answer. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My Father will love them. And here's the verse. And we will come to them and make our home, our tabernacle with them. You want to know 
God's like purpose statement. I want them to be my people and I want to dwell with them. I want intimacy. So I'm having this conversation and, uh, and this kid says to me, but Russ, like I've seen the videos of demons and it freaks me out and I've, I've heard people laugh and I've seen people fall over and cry and that freaks me out. And he, he just told me all the things that freak him out. And you may be at church and you're sitting there today and tonight and going, or today and going, yeah, that freaks me out too. To which I want to say this to you. If you were to take your finger and push it into, you've seen that power station over there that you guys illegally park on. That one, uh, if, you, if you were to take your finger and plug it into that power station, tell me, do you think your body would do normal things? No, it would, it would do some funky stuff. Because the power station has too much power for your body to be able to absorb. Do you think you would look normal after that? Do you think you would just stand normally after that? But you think that you can plug into the God who, can, who created the whole universe by speaking it and nothing's going to happen? If your God, when you connect to him, doesn't do something, I don't know that you're believing in God. God is too powerful to just expect nothing's going to happen. Just shifting you a little bit. So I had this conversation. He went, ah, okay, you win. I went, yeah. But here's the, the crux. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. And when I was not a Christian, to walk into environments that I knew about Jesus, I, I would hear people speak about the Holy Spirit, but I neither knew him or could see him, and so I thought it was rubbish. And if you're in that space, I identify with you. I understand. But watch. Watch what happens in people who really give their lives to Christ, and you'll see a change that you will not be able to explain, and that will lead you to realize that he's true. Then it says... But you know him, for he lives with you. I want to say, there are a lot of people who know God because the Holy Spirit lives with you. You come to church because the Holy Spirit lives with you. You, you sing because the Holy Spirit lives with you, but he is not in you. You see, if you've asked Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit's with you, but he's not overflowing through you. Your finger's not in the plug. It, and God's going, please don't settle for little intimacy. Please settle for big intimacy because I want to be in you. I want to tabernacle in you. Now, Jesus ends his whole dialogue. In John 16, he says, it is good for you that I go away for if I do not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. He uses special words. He says, the comforter. Now, when we think of comforter, we think of a hugger. But this word doesn't mean hugger. It's parakletos. It means helper. He says, so Jesus says, I will send a comforter, a parakletos, who will help you, 
and, and he uses another word, alos, which means like me. So here's what he's saying. I will send one like me who will help you the way I helped you. That's what he's saying. There is a, w- a word that they used to use for a loading mechanism uh, on loading docks. It was a paraclete. The job of a paraclete was to help you lift a weight that was too heavy for you. Paraclete. I don't, how many of you in 2020, you're scared of the weight you're going to have to carry? See, I looked at the economy and listened to business people over the last season, and I'm scared of the weight. I drove through the Eastern Cape and I saw the unemployment, and I'm scared of the weight. I, I look at people's lives around me, I'm scared of the weight. I, I look at the problems I face in life, I'm scared of the weight. There's some financial weight that I don't have, I don't have the strength to carry in 2020. I need the paracletos to step in. I, I need, you know, the way I've done Christianity a lot of my life is, you know when you bench press, I know, I haven't done it for a long time. But when you, when you bench press, if you're benching heavy weights, again, haven't done it for a long time, did it once. Um, if you're bench pressing heavy weights, you get a spotter. The job of the spotter is that when your arms collapse, the bar doesn't take your head off. Most of us, me included, have relied on the Holy Spirit to be my spotter. I'll do the 98, please will you do the two that I can't get to. I've decided this year, I want the Holy Spirit doing the bench press, I'll do the 2%. Because this year, for me, looks too heavy. And so I am asking God, you do the lifting. I'm gonna pursue intimacy because I know my strength. I've tested it. My strength's not enough anymore. I need a paraclete who is so much stronger than I will ever be. I need that to be my strength tomorrow. And the way I will get his strength working in my life is through intimacy with God, which happens through worship. 